Welcome to Ancient Answers, where we discuss modern issues and reflect on the wisdom of the ancients. I'm Gordon. And I'm Shane. Well, today is going to be one of our first episodes. In fact, it is the first episode. Yeah, we, we're, we're trying something new today. That's right. We're <laughs> going to take two persons in history that both myself and Shane would have loved to have met and interviewed, or at least asked some questions of why they did what they did. And we're going to discuss kind of a little mini biographies of these two individuals. Yeah. Um, I have selected Sargon of Akkad. Yeah. And, and well actually how about we start off with Sargon and then we'll we'll get to mine out. Oh I we'll see. Do, let's do that. We'll sort of we'll do like the reveal yeah. halfway through. <laughs> there you go. All right. So tell us about so yeah. I'm I'm actually quite interested in Sargon of Akkad because as I mentioned to Gore before we started recording, this is not a name that I had ever heard in my time of studying history. And that's understandable. It's not... You have to go back. So, like, give you a little bit of biography. He was born around the year 2350 B.C. Okay, so, so really a long at, time ago. Yeah, over 4,000 years ago. Uh, he was born in what we would call sort of middle Iraq, uh, a land at that time which was called Akkad. And it it's, was situated north of Sumeria, which was the, you know, the real source of Middle Eastern... Uh, civilization. Akkad came along a little later, roughly 500 years later, but it evolved very quickly. It was uh, populated by a Semitic-speaking people, so their languages would be uh, a language that had some similarities to uh, uh, Israeli, uh, Hebrew, um, Arabic, and so on today, but significantly different. It would mm -hmm. be like Old English to present English. Oh, yes, Pretty, several, several thousand years removed. Yeah, and almost several generations of stuff. Yeah. But Sargon is, I think, one of the most interesting characters, in spite of the fact that we don't have really a lot of history written at his time. We have just a handful of inscriptions that he commanded um, as a military leader, and then it was later where stories of him began to um, proliferate. Okay, yeah. Yeah, proliferate. Well, and that was something that I'd read as well, is that we really have very little contemporary evidence of Sargon of Akkad, and most of what we, we have sort of, as you mentioned, came about well after his reign had concluded, and then digging back through the historical records, saying, oh, that this actually matches up with this story, and this matches up with this. And That's right. Now, why does it interest me is he did a lot of things for the first time. Okay. And what drove him, and he does seem to have been a very driven person, because when I explain a little further what he accomplished in his lifetime, uh, and his military conquests, particularly, um, it, it, he was really the first one. He was, be in a sense, the first emperor in okay. human history. Yeah. Um, there is no equivalent in Chinese. There is no equivalent in timetable in other places, um, even Egypt. Now... Egypt, by the time Sargon was born, Egypt had already built the pyramids. Okay. So just to put in context, about 100 to 150 years before that. It never ceases to amaze me just how ancient the Egyptian kingdoms and civilizations are. Because it seems that no matter how far back we go, yeah, but Egypt's already been around for 600 years. That's so. right. <laughs> um, some, there are some contemporary records of Sargon's time that they... They knew about Egypt. There was minimal trade uh, and contact, but the two kingdoms really, you know, they're separated by 1,500 kilometers. So yeah. they in a desert. So you know, they're kind of uh, they're kind of operated on their own. 
So I'm going to switch just briefly to the Sumerian area. Samaria, which had such cities as Ur, Uruk, Lagash, uh, Urdu, and Nippur, you know, those ones that are in the right near the, uh, the, the water, even in today's Iraq, it, they, that was the, the great cradle of civilization. They were able to get onto agriculture they, and metallurgy. They built everything out of mud, bricks, and they built enormous things. They built these ziggurats, these step temples, and so on. Sargon, well, the birth of Sargon has always got an interesting story. According to the record that was written about him, it said that his mother, fearing for his life as a baby, put him in a basket hmm. and sent him down the river where he was picked up by a princess who saw the basket drifting by and then you know, found a baby in it and brought him into her household. And he was raised into the royal household and eventually became the cupbearer to the Lugal. Now, the Lugal was the ancient word for big man or king. We'll use the word king loosely on this case. Yeah. And so a cupbearer. Now, what is a cupbearer? Well, a cupbearer was somebody who was entrusted to check out the food mm -hmm. <laughs> before the king ate it to make sure it was safe and drink as well. So that was uh, an honorary designation. And a dangerous one. <laughs> and a dangerous one. <laughs> what happened next is a little bit shrouded because obviously the story of his birth has a parallel with yeah. the Moses story. Yeah, I was going to say, I've heard that story before. That's familiar. <laughs> the only thing was it was written about 1,200 years before Moses even possibly existed. Oh, wow, okay. So the Moses story probably copied on In fact, there's two other uh, characters in ancient history of uh, some renown that also claim that they had been sent down the river as babies oh. and were picked up by <laughs> princesses. Uh, hmm. So the story uh, got, its, uh, got recycled a few times. The, the interesting thing about uh, Sargon, he was definitely chronologically the first one to use the story. And this seemed to solidify his, his legitimacy. Now, why I would want to meet him and talk with him is mm -hmm. because I would say, what got it in your mind to go on a conquest rampage that nobody else had ever really done? Yeah. And not only that, build an empire, or at least a controlling area that would go all the way from the Persian Gulf on a curve all the way over to the Mediterranean, hmm. uh, what we call Lebanon today. Okay. So it, it, in a continuous group, um, he had, he must have had actually, a group of advisors that knew how to manage and collect taxes because we have other writings from other peoples in the area kind of complaining about the taxes that were being extracted out of people to pay for the expenses. Hmm. But Sargon's leadership abilities cannot be overlooked. He was able to usurp the power of the Lugal Zagani, who was the, the chief king, if you want to call, of, of his region, and then go to unite. He basically went to all the cities with an ever-increasing larger military force, but he didn't necessarily go in and burn down the cities. He negotiated with them to join with him, recognize him as their Lugal, their leader, and then he would allow a greater amount of trade, protected trade, yeah. uh, and continue. 
Hmm. So he set the standard for Middle Eastern kingdoms for the next 2,500 years. Well, and it's, it's interesting because when we look back at some large empires, so if you look at Alexander's, for example, or the Romans and whatnot, obviously this is much smaller in scale, but at this time as well, it had never been done before. That's right. So you can, you can look at some far-reaching conquerors and some impressive empires and, and areas of rulership, but there's always sort of a historical precedent for that. Whereas in this case, for Sargon, there is no precedent. It had literally it had, never been done before. That's right. He, he, set, he set a pattern that really would be repeated, as I say, for at least 2,500 years. Yeah. Really, you could argue, right into the modern day. Mm-hmm. Um, he must, and I'm surmising from the, the, you know, the, the records and the inscriptions that have been found, he must have had an ability to speak well. Uh, yeah, he, that's probably a good bet. We have stories written later after his life was over that seem to indicate that he had uh, an oratorial skill, mm-hmm. uh, an, uh, a skill that's often attributed to leaders in the past. That yes, they had absolutely. To, yeah, they, they have to. Well, like but, Pericles, right? You know, very yeah. charismatic leader, and that's yeah. what got him you know, where, where he was anyway. Yeah, and then and the you know some of our other people we're going to talk to will have that as known. Mm-hmm. Now I do recognize, and scholars recognize that Sargon is a little tricky to to flesh out his life. Uh, we know he reigned between fifty three and fifty four years. Okay, he would have been about twenty two, twenty three when he usurped power. Okay, relatively young. Yeah, uh, and he died between ages seventy eight and eighty. That's impressive. That's un- that's impressive for that e- era. Um, we get the impression from other writings, again written mostly later, that he was a very driven person. Mm-hmm. That he uh, he was active all the time. He was on campaign all the time. Yeah. But he was going back and forth across his kingdom, frequently, uh, not necessarily in military campaigns, but we'll call them uh, buttressing campaigns, okay. making sure everything was working well. The taxes were coming in, mm-hmm. and and you know that his. Uh, that his center of power, which was in the north part of the uh, Euphrates River, um, was unquestioned. Okay. And uh, so it was less about conquest at that point, more about just like shoring things up and make, making sure things were running efficiently. Yeah. yeah. I okay. mean, he did conquest. Yeah, of course. Uh, but the armies that he was involved with, I mean, the best guess we have and scholars have is that he had armies of between. Five and seven thousand. Okay. So by any standard, that is a Roman legion. Yeah, that's pretty, that's but, small, relatively speaking. Yeah. But at the time when there was no other or, organized military units, it was enormous. It was enormous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you come into a little community of a couple of thousand, and you've got five thousand to seven thousand or ten thousand armed guys with bronze weapons. Ah, yeah. you're the boss. <laughs> you're going to be the boss. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but the reason I would admire him is. For whatever he may have been, he he did he definitely had a personality trait of of being driven, of being inspiring people. I mean, he held his kingdom did survive. Unfortunately, not. I, let me just back up. His kingdom did not survive very long after his death, uh, and he did leave it to his son, which seems to have been less of a charismatic leader. But he set the stage. Yeah. He set the stage for every uh, Babylonian, Roman, Greek, 
Persian, anybody you can think of, they followed in his footsteps in terms of creating that military. And I came up with a, four questions that if I sat down and I had an interview, you know, like a Larry King kind of interview, <laughs> um, is I would, I, I would, I would, uh, I would ask him, why did you feel that you were chosen? Because he, he expressed several times in his inscriptions that the gods had chosen him mm -hmm. to be their, their, their messenger on, not maybe messenger, but instrument. Instrument. Yeah, that's a better word. Instrument on earth. Why did you feel that way? Why did you feel that certain gods had chosen you? And was that something that you carried in everything, every day in your daily life? Um, I would ask him, what was it about your ability to communicate to other peoples, especially the peoples you conquered, and convince them it was actually better to work with you, not necessarily just on the fear of death, but better to work with you and how is it you seem to have got the, the message out that, hey, this will be profitable. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to have secure trade. Because one of the things he did attempt to do was standardize weights and mm -hmm. measurements. So I would admire somebody who at least tried to bring that aspect in and not just you know, a bloodthirsty conqueror who was going to go and kill a lot of people. Yeah, his, history is full of butchers, but he's someone who is actually trying to unify and build at the same time. And, you know, and how did you keep your men motivated? Because men would be away from their families. They'd be away from their villages. Mm -hmm. How did you keep them motivated? Uh, what did you say to them? Um, you know, did you eat your meals with them? Did you, or did you stay aloof mm -hmm. and sort of the unseen, unknown, you know, leader who was uh, uh, almost a demigod himself? So yeah. I, I would ask those questions. I, I would like to know more about really one of the more opaque characters in human history and yet he set a precedent that lasted for thousands of years hmm. so there's that's, my reasons for sargon of a cat that's that's a really interesting one and uh he is tricky to do research on i mean i i did some research and it was there's not a ton of information but from what is available it is a fascinating he is a fascinating character in history i mean there's only about and i saw this in a documentary only about 20 people on this planet today yeah that know how to read the cuneiform of ancient Akkad. <laughs> okay, yeah, that doesn't help. <laughs> that makes it tricky. Yeah. Okay, so let's transition. All right. Uh, to your character, who I, uh, I I'm going to hear about. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so not going to lie, I cheated a little bit on this one, which is not a great way to start a new thing, I suppose. <laughs> but here we are. Um, so the character that I chose is very much a character. I chose Odysseus, uh, ah, the Iliad and yes. the Odyssey fame. And the way that I justify this is that there is a lot of debate as to whether or not Odysseus actually existed, if he was a real person. Now, um, the evidence would suggest, and sort of the, the agreement within the academic community, is that a character or a real individual very, very, very likely existed. Now, whether or not it was Odysseus of Ithaca and how true he was to the Iliad and the Odyssey is very much up for debate, because those were epic poems, there's a lot of you know, supernatural and a lot of fantasy and mythology involved with it, right? So there is the question of how true is this character, but again, it seems to, the evidence seems to suggest that there, it was, there was at least a basis in fact. I, I tend to 
support the idea that there was a real person in Odysseus. Yes. And it just the stories got bigger as they went on down the line. Well, exactly, right? And so and that's that's true for a lot of mythology and a lot of legends is that there there's always a basis in fact. You know, there's there's always a reason behind it whether or not it's to explain natural happenings throughout the world. That's where a lot of gods get created from and uh, and just heroes and what have you. So uh, so based on that, I decided to like I said cheat a little bit. And select Odysseus. So, um, well, you're setting a precedent <laughs> on the uh, on the level of that right away. I I'm, I'm, I think this is great. I think that this. Uh, I mean, I have enjoyed well reading the the Iliad and the Odyssey. I've watched movies that are mm-hmm. based on that. Uh, there's been some good ones out there. I, I kind of like the movie Troy. I actually really I, like that movie. I, like it has its problems. Don't get me wrong, but I really like and that Sean movie. Bean played Odysseus in the movie, yeah. and I thought he struck a really interesting you know the character of a clever mm-hmm. and, and, and and industrious and yet brave yeah. and 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 fortitude and yet he questioned the bloodshed yeah. that was going on in the whole war and and you know credit to Sean Bean he survived in that movie which he doesn't do very often but um, that's right <laughs> he tends to die in the movies he acts in <laughs> But Odysseus has always been a fascinating character for me. And, and because of the, some of the things that you just mentioned right there, where if you look back to the, again, uh, our main resources for this are going to be the Iliad and the Odyssey. So take all of it with a grain of salt, for sure. But, um, but again, a lot to suggest that there is factual basis for this. So he's known as Wily Odysseus. That's right. That is his moniker. That's his nickname. So right off the hop. He is a cunning individual, and we see that time and time again throughout both stories, throughout both epic poems. He's a very clever, intelligent man, and... He was willing to horse trade. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Gordon. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) Um, But his his cleverness and his his, um, wily attitude, it was not just on the battlefield. He was a brilliant tactician, but he was, like Gord said, he was courageous. He was extremely charismatic. He was a very excellent orator. He was also a really, really good mediator. You know, he was the one who recruited Achilles for the Trojan War, even though Achilles had all this disdain for Agamemnon. He was the one who sort of brokered peace and helped maintain the relationship between those two great warriors and leaders who really didn't see eye to eye on anything. You know, another thing that, that certainly the Iliad poses is that he was not a man to waste the lives of his subordinates. That's true as well. He, he had a, he had a, a deep uh, respect for the people that fought under his command and for the soldiers that he fought alongside. Um, and to him, there was very much a cost associated with everything, right? And it, and it had to be worth the cost. Yeah, actually, that is that is kind of true. Yeah. Um, even like, I've often wondered why he was selected by either Homer or any of the poets, unknown poets that came later, that began to embellish on the story mm-hmm. of this conflict. Why he was selected out of all the characters in the Iliad to be the one to go on the great voyage. And that's true, because because. You know, the Odyssey is sort of the, the, it's the sequel to the Iliad in essence, right? So that's actually a really good point where why was it Odysseus? I mean, the Iliad is full of colorful characters and fascinating 
historical figures and interesting legends. So what was it about Odysseus himself that made him the subject of a sequel? That's a good point, because the Iliad, although we have the book The Iliad, mm -hmm. the fleshing out of the full story comes from other poets and writers who embellish the story later on, yeah. so you can piece it together. But the Odyssey is basically self-contained. It is, yeah. And it's actually an interesting... Uh, it's, it's been quite a, quite a long time since I've read it, but it's actually an interesting narrative just to read because it's mostly told through flashbacks. That's right. Because I think it starts off in, in the cave of Polyphemus with the Cyclops, or at least that's very near the beginning. And then you get to you know how they ended up there through, through flashbacks and through... Um, you know, storytelling within the story. Um, but just, there's so many examples of Odysseus and his leadership abilities and his his cunning. You know, he was the one who came up with the idea of the Trojan horse, as Gord alluded to a few <laughs> minutes ago, in the worst way possible, but thanks. Um, so he was the one who came up with that. He was the one who... And the Trojan horse mm -hmm. has become a moniker in oh. our day. I mean, we talk about Trojan horses in computers. Yeah. We talk about Trojan horses in terms of military strategies, yeah. even today. I mean, it you has say echoed for... Millenniums. 3,000 yeah. years. Yeah, you, you say Trojan horse, and everyone knows what you're talking about. That's right. There's no question. And that and it's it, it all came from him. Uh, and, and then you look further and see, you know, how you know he was clever against Polyphemus and didn't give him the, the true name, but then his... I am no of, man. Exactly, right? <laughs> and he snuck his men out underneath the bellies of the sheep and... Like there, there's just so many excellent examples of him as just he's he's a fascinating character, and I do need to use the word character because as I've mentioned already a couple of times, there is a lot of debate as to how real was he, um, what was the basis in fact, what was true, what was not. Well, what but, what what if it was a truly remarkable real leader mm -hmm. who you know shone in some ancient conflict. And then enough of the storytelling got generated that the focus became to him. And then there is, of course, a lot of undue additions put on. Mm -hmm. So he sort of was every man superhero. I, but that has happened in human history in terms oh, of other characters. Absolutely. So I, I believe that the, or, the core of this is there was a real man yep. who had achieved some remarkable results and earned the right to get the attention for embellishments later on. And that, that's essentially why I selected him. Again, I use the term character, but but there there was a, in my opinion, there was a very fascinating, interesting individual beneath that character. And there's actually a trilogy of um, historical fiction novels by the author David Gemmel. That's right. Uh, about the Trojan War. And I really, really like the way that he paints Odysseus because the whole trilogy is essentially, okay, this is an example of how things probably realistically happened. And then you can see how over millennia and storytelling, it just expanded and got more fantastic as time went on. But the novels themselves are, are very down-to-earth, very realistic. So Odysseus is a loudmouth, obnoxious, very intelligent, clever braggart. But he's, he's a, he comes off as a, bit of a, a little bit of a buffoon, but it's very much a facade. And then when you actually get down to know him, you realize, oh no, this man is very intelligent and he's very wise and he's, he's playing a character in order exactly. to avoid uh, scrutiny. Exactly. Yes. Well, if you sat down with him at interview time, what would <laughs> what would you be asking him? Well, the the first thing I would want to do is just have a discussion with him, separating the man from the myth, and just okay, here's the story. What is tr or no? Just not even not even just what is the real story? 
Tell me about okay. the Iliad. Tell me about the Trojan War and your journey home. I mean, maybe the journey home was, yeah, well, we got caught up in the storm and we got blown off course. It took us like a month longer than we wanted to. That could be the whole story. That could you be. You never know, right? You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that would be the first thing, is separate the, the man from the myth. Tell me about the real story, what really happened. Uh, that would be the absolute first thing. And then, then I would want to start prying into the, the other people that he was involved with, uh, in particular Agamemnon and Achilles. Yeah, sort of his his uh, point of view, what he thought of those other characters. Yeah, because he he was the middleman between the two of them, right? That's he right. was the one who brokered peace between the two of them and, and kept the relationship as civil as it could be. So, okay, tell me about Agamemnon. What kind of a person was he? Tell me about Achilles. What kind of a person? What was it like being in between those two and trying to maintain the peace between them? You know, was it easier or harder than fighting the Trojan War? <laughs> you know what I would ask. Well, what would you ask? How would you? How did you come up with the idea of the Trojan Horse? That's my third question. Okay, I got that written down right there. That's my third question. <laughs> okay, you go with it. Go no, with that just, question. But like, obviously, we gotta ask that. Like, where did that come from? And I quite like in in the movie Troy that we already brought up that he's sitting around a fire trying to solve the problem, quote unquote, of the Trojans and the and the walls, yeah, and then right. he sees one of his soldiers just carving a toy horse for his son and then you see the light bulb moment and then oh next thing you know yeah, there's I a horse that, built i, I like that was uh, it, you know it it was a it was a well done movie because yeah. it combined it what it did is the Iliad is is a fragmented story it is yes uh it, it but it pieced together a logical uh narrative that would make sense piecing together as we know mm-hmm. with a few patches uh to to you know kind of with modern uh, convention. Yeah. Uh, D- David Gemmell's novels essentially did the same thing. It did, and, I... and the the two not the the three novels. The third one is about the Trojan War itself, and the first two are the build up to it. So you get a lot of, again, it's it's historical fiction, but it's all based in fact. But there's a, there's a lot of background you get with it. But very much the same idea as the the movie in the books. They covered a lot of the same stuff. He must have had a lot of patience to deal with Agamemnon. <laughs> <laughs> Odysseus probably yeah <laughs> well that's a good choice yeah. well I we hope uh, everybody's enjoyed this episode this is the first episode of our sort of biography discussion of who we would love mm-hmm. to, to sit down have a coffee with and ask questions and uh, see uh, what their opinion was on the ancient days I would have enjoyed speaking with Sargon it would have fleshed out a bit of the historical yep. lackings that we have and uh, I Odysseus? Do, I do enjoy... His, are you real? Yeah. <laughs> well, I do enjoy the fact that you and I both happen to choose characters or people from history with a lot of mystery behind them, That's where right. there's a lot of questions about, like, we don't really know much. Like, how real are they? How much of this is true? But they were both very charismatic leaders. Like, there's a lot of overlap between our two choices. <laughs> well, in the next episode, we will have two more characters that both have some shadows around them. Yep. And if we could interview them, we would reveal some some extra truths and uh, carry on but, but you'll, you'll have to listen further for that that's one. right no, until then that <laughs> until then we thank you very much for listening we appreciate we hope you reach out and uh, communicate with us through social media uh, as we talk about how the ancient peoples dealt with their issues and how it corresponds to our world today i'm gordon and i'm shane and thanks again for listening we'll see you next time mm-hmm.